0: Emerging Markets Equities Podcast by Aberdeen.
1: Hello everybody and welcome to the Aberdeen Emerging Markets Equity Podcast. I'm Nick Robinson from the EM Equity team. In this podcast series, we explore the factors that underpin our thinking on emerging markets. From key individuals to evolving trends, we seek to answer the five W's. Who, what, where, when and why that are shaping investment opportunities in the region. In October this year, 2022, the US Department of Commerce issued a new and exceptionally broad set of restrictions on exports to China of semiconductor chips and other high-end tech equipment. After the Trump era, there had been hopes that trade relations with China might normalise, but these new rules mark a major shift in the Biden administration's China strategy, and they present a serious threat to high-tech industries in China. Washington think tank CSIS called the White House's new approach to the Chinese tech sector, strangling with an intent to kill. The idea that over time China should be less dependent on foreign imports or localization has been a key theme of the country's vision for the future. However, semiconductors are one area where China struggles to compete and non-Chinese manufacturers still dominate. Today, China remains dependent on chip imports, particularly of high-end chips, and the country spends more on importing chips each year than it does on oil. So in this episode, we're going to discuss these new chip export restrictions, what they are, and also implications for China and those companies in the supply chain that will be impacted. Today, I'm lucky enough to have two colleagues joining me to help make sense of these rules. Firstly, Pruxa Tong. Pruxa has been with the firm for 15 years, and one of her many expertises is covering semiconductors and tech hardware companies. Brooksa, I think we can describe you as a regular now that you're on your third time. So welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hi Nick, good to be back.
1: Great, and then today we're also joined by Carl Lee. Carl is an analyst at the firm who's based out of our Shanghai office and he covers Chinese tech hardware and semiconductors companies. Carl, welcome to the podcast and thanks for joining today.
2: Great, hello, thanks Nick. So So let's kick
1: off with some broader questions. Um, Do you think you could provide a bit of an overview of these new export regulations and how do they compare to previous protectionist measures and sanctions we've seen?
0: Yeah, sure, Nick. Um, I think you can summarise the new regulations in 2C. They are certainly more complex and more comprehensive. And I think um, it's it's really quite a, a thick set of documents that the industry, including ourselves, have been trying to go through as well. So if you were to break things down a bit um, in terms of export control, it's focused on three key areas. The first would be on chips. The second would be on the equipment that make these chips. And the third would be on the people that make these chips. So pretty comprehensive from a um, restriction point of view. So first let's start with the chips. On the chips front, um, the restriction is really on exports of high performance IC, uh, which stands for integrated circuits. And this is restricted um, without a license. Now, the question is how is high performance actually defined? Um, If you look at that, then it will be ICs that have bi-directional transfer rate, overall inputs and outputs of 600 gigabytes per second or more. Basically, um, that may not mean very much to you, but in conclusion, this will impact a very high-end GPU in terms of the way that this is defined. The second area would be in terms of equipment. Um, you actually need a license to sell to uh, semiconductor fabrication facilities in China for um, the equipment to hit this threshold. Um, and this threshold are the ones that such as, you know, when you look at the logic chips, then it will be those with non-planar transistor architecture of 16 nanometer or 14 nanometer or below. Um, The second area would be in terms of DRAM memory chips of 18 nanometer. And the third area would be in terms of NAND flash memory chips with 128 layers or more. So essentially, again, to summarize, what this means is that equipments that are used to make some of these higher-end semiconductor chips, whether in logic or memory front, are also being restricted. And what I've mentioned just now is really about the way that um, advanced semiconductor chips are defined by the rule. So the third area will be in terms of people. Um, and in this case, when we talk about people, we refer to U.S. persons. Um, the control is really on U.S. person activities on development and production of integrated circuits at semiconductor fabrication facilities for advanced semiconductors. So this is a control at the factory level. The other control is also on semiconductor production equipment in China, and this is at the equipment level. So you see again that the rule itself has extended and becomes a bit more comprehensive. And this, the reason why this is pretty important is really because um, a lot of IP intellectual properties in terms of the knowledge of how to make these chips actually also sit with Chinese returnees that have been either educated in the US or have worked in the US, and many of them have also become either U.S. citizens or hold a green card, and this definition falls under U.S. persons. So this overall would also impact um, talent retention and development uh, in this field where you actually do need this knowledge to develop advanced semiconductor chips. So now when you put everything together... um, Overall, this is an aim at controlling key inputs. It advanced semiconductor manufacturing and is really designed to plug some of the loopholes left in the last round of export control regulation.
1: So there's been some debate over the extent to which these new regulations are designed not just to limit development of chips for military, but to hobble the entire semis industry in China In even go as far as damaging the Chinese economy. So what's your take on what the US is trying to achieve here?
0: I think what the US is trying to achieve here is not really to inflict a huge damage to the Chinese economy. So they are not looking for like a a decoupling of the economies altogether. Overall, what these rules are designed to do is to really stop China from advancing in leading-edge semiconductor technologies which they are deemed to be used by China to advance their military capabilities and as a result, pose a national security threat to the US. So really, the restriction is on advanced semiconductor technologies. And just to quote the press release by the BIS, which stands for the Bureau of Industry and Security, these updates will restrict China's ability to both purchase and manufacture certain high-end chips used in military applications and builds on prior policies to restrict China's ability to obtain advanced computing chips, develop and maintain supercomputers, and manufacture advanced semiconductor. The other thing that is quite interesting that we are observing right now is also that the nature of this approach is also looking to be changing. Um, I'm quoting another um, advisor here, so Jake Sullivan, who is the national security advisor, um just made a recent speech in September 2022, just prior to the release of these rules. And his thoughts is that with respect to export controls, we have to revisit the long-standing premise of maintaining relative advantages over competitors in key technologies. Competitors in this case is really referring to China. And He shared that given the foundational nature of certain technologies such as advanced logic and memory chips, we must maintain as large of a lead as possible. So when you put that together again, reading between the lines, there seems to be a shift of a relative sliding scale kind of approach to one that is more absolute lead as well. And the distinction here is pretty important because while the restrictions are targeted at advanced semiconductor chips today... Um, And as a result, it does not impact mature technologies. This actually doesn't mean that it will not impact mature technologies of tomorrow. And this is really because computing power improves every day. So it really remains to be seen if the U.S. will look to update the threshold down the road when we look into the future. And I think ultimately that will um, determine the impact on the Chinese economy over the long run.
1: That's really interesting in terms of how the impact of the regulations may become more severe over time, depending on how they're updated. I suppose you know it's it's pretty early days with the regulations today at the time of recording only a couple of months old. so are there any indications of what the impact's been so far and you know what the international companies that sell into China that I know you cover what you know what have they been saying?
0: Yeah, still pretty early days. And as you can imagine, we are trying to um, get as much information from our companies as possible, and our companies are also trying to get as much information um, from the legal experts that they engage with as much as possible as well. But I think to summarize overall, it really differs from company to company because the way that the rules are written, it is actually very company specific. Um, depending on their relative exposure, but also depending on how the companies actually interpret the rules. So, so far, operationally, there are some disruptions as companies are taking a more conservative stance until they are able to get sufficient legal advice or they are able to have further clarifications on some of the interpretations of the above um, complex and comprehensive set of regulations. So we have heard by now um, how companies have actually remove their U.S. persons from customer's side um, in terms of maintenance, for example. Some companies go to that extreme. Um, but overall, the mitigating factor for that is that because of the pandemic in China, many companies actually cannot send their U.S. persons in any way, and therefore, therefore they have actually developed a local servicing capabilities as a result. So from that perspective, um, it's actually not that bad. But um, I've put together a few examples here just to share with you how things differ as well. So in the case of one of our Dutch semiconductor equipment companies that obviously have uh, customers in China, um, while they assess that direct impact for them is actually minimal, uh, given that they are a Dutch company and they have um, lower U.S. content that is below the threshold, um, there is actually some indirect impact because their clients may not actually get access to other U.S. equipment that make up the whole manufacturing value chain. And as a result, this might impact the demand of the specific equipment that the company sells. Um, In the case of our Korean or Taiwanese companies that have uh, fabrication facilities in China, what we have heard is that they have actually been granted a temporary license. And this means that they are able to obtain equipment that are necessary to support their production. So in that sense, um, their production is actually not impacted. However, the key here is that um, We got to see what this actually means for longer term capacity planning and additional investment in China. And this is really because when you think about um, capital expenditure in this area, it is actually very expensive. And um, a one year type window um, doesn't really give you sufficient uh, comfort for making those investments as well. So what we are trying to do today is um, we are very busy speaking to every company in our portfolio just to understand how they are interpreting these regulations, You know what assumptions they are making when they make a certain statement in terms of um, the assessment of the impact to their earnings, and really how this impacts their strategy in China and ex-China expansion going forward over the long term as well. So clearly a lot of moving parts, but it's still pretty early days.
1: Yeah, sounds like a lot of work being done there. So I think it'd be great now to switch over to you, Carl, and get a bit of a view from the ground in terms of what's going on at the moment. So, yeah, as I mentioned in the uh, introduction, localization is a pretty big theme in China investing at the moment. So how's uh, that been going in terms of China chip
2: technology? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, Yes, as you say, China is quite determined in localization. So as you know, China is basically the largest semiconductor importer now globally. And the value of semiconductor imports every year has now exceeded that of oil and gas. So there's a strong desire in first place to be self-sufficient and self-abundant. Moreover, uh, there's critical urgency now to close the gap. Because semiconductor deficit has now further escalated into a national security issue, um, pretty much on tensions with the U.S. And the sustainability of the supply chain in advanced tech and manufacturing, which is quite important to the company, might be also crumbling if they are not able to secure the underlying chip technology. So China has been doing a lot of work here. Um, the localization efforts can be dated back as early as 2000s and it's not until recent year when we start to see more remarkable progress. So the localization effort can be roughly sorted into two directions. The first one is um, localization of semiconductor products. Mm, this is a relatively easier goal as local design houses have been bumped up their technology competency in the past decade quite well. So the national call on semiconductor has certainly brought capital flows into the space. And this has greatly appreciated valuation of semiconductor company and attracted many returnees from the like of Silicon Valley. And that serves as a first batch of talent pool and a source of know-how in chip technology. Mm, pretty much as a result of this, um, some categories like smartphone chip, uh, analog, have seen a quite sharp localization rate spike in the past few years, from just low single digit to double digit and even above nowadays. Turn to the other page is localization of manufacturing of uh, capacity. This is um, Bumpier Road, I have to say, as that's where China has lacked Western world by decades. And the US has certainly tried to curtail China in its own fabrication capability. Um, This can be done by restricting semiconductor equipment export to China, as you can see in the latest um, export control. That said, uh, China has not given up this effort. Um, They have been doing a lot of things by bringing up these homegrown semiconductor equipment makers. Um, These makers are either transformed from a state-owned research institute, leveraging on the power of local academics, or established by retinees leveraging on technology know-how in development markets. So as of today, as you can see, um, I think the model has worked pretty well. And in some uh, equipment segments like um, uh, cleaning or uh, etching, China has been able to achieve at least double digit of localization rate. And some equipment makers have already started to ship to big foundries overseas. So, um, to summarize in short, um, we have seen very impressive growth in China's chip localization in the past few years, but we are still at a very early stage of the giant semiconductor consumer for its localization stage.
1: I mean, the US in the past, when it's issued sanctions, has been you know, more focused on limiting development of military technology within China, whereas yeah, there is certainly scope for much more commercial applications of semiconductors to be limited by these new regulations. So how how do you see that in terms of the extent that commercial
2: uses of semis might be restricted going forward? Um, so as have mentioned, um, the intention of this new export control is just to stop China from advancing its leading edge chip technology, so as to avoid, for example, military use of US technology. However, Um, Another important thing or the bottom line thinking is that this needs to be balanced with the consideration of commercial opportunities because China is also a very big market for US semiconductor equipment companies as it is the world's largest semiconductor importer. So a result of this balance um, comes from two lines. First one is advanced node, and second line is uh, fabrication facilities. So everything falling into these two lines will be considered critical and hence will be restricted, while the rest of um, the semiconductor products, etc., etc., are left intact to ensure that the big market has not gone. So if we look back to the two lines that we've just uh, discussed of localization by China, then the picture will be quite clear. So coming first on semiconductor products, the restriction on this new role have been quite deliberately limited within certain types of high-end chips, which are considered relevant to um, artificial intelligence or military use. So as a result of this, um vast majority of consumption and design activities are actually left intact. So our visit with local clients like um, internet companies or consumer electronics brands suggests that there have been very limited impact to their daily procurement aside from certain high-end chip. While there are also some concerns on U.S. person restriction, as Prusa has mentioned. Um, The fabulous company that we visit also comment that there has been no impact on their um, management and talents who are U.S. citizens because they are not involved in any fabrication facilities. So turning to the next page on uh, manufacturing capability, then that's where uh, things have been very critical and complicated. So um, one of the biggest additions of this new export control is the inclusion of memory fabs like YMTC, who has been playing a very key role in verifying and running local equipment. This may curtail the further evolution of local equipment makers and hence stop China from advancing its local manufacturing capability. And another restriction on US presence is also quite critical, I would say, as it will also bottleneck China's ability to further gain technology know-how in fabrication from U.S. through attracting talents or attracting returnees. needs. Hence, um, as you can see, both equipment and talents being critical to China's ability to advance its technology in the long run are now quite constrained by this new export control rule. So in short... Um, The new export control does not pose a big strike to China's existing demand and design of uh, semiconductor products, but it has a pretty profound um, restriction on China's ability to advance its technology in chips in the long term.
1: I suppose thinking about the long term and future growth drivers of, of economies worldwide, there's been a lot of focus on artificial intelligence and the advanced chips that are required to facilitate that technology. I mean, it's early days yet, but what's your initial take on how much of a setback China's had here by lack of access to some of the higher-end chips?
2: Um, I think one of the critical bottom lines is that as BAS has specifically stated their intention to block China's ability of AI, this is going to be quite painful if we're looking into the long term. So starting with um, near term, um, I think it is still okay because the impact should be still controllable given multiple mitigation measures in place. Uh, for example, some of the consumers may hope the quite lengthy periods of inventories. And um, US vendors like NVIDIA also work to the spec, to some extent to come below that threshold. So, uh, so far, most of customers that we have visited uh, have commented quite limited impact to their chip procurement and AI development. So, in near term, that's still okay. But coming into long term, then the setback is quite likely to happen. So, if we are based on the new export control rule, all Chinese companies are subject to US license requirements if they want to buy advanced chipsets restricted by the US. So basically, um, this is defined by the tops of 600 gigabytes per second transmission speed. And this rule is designed um, as a presumption of denial, which means that it is highly unlikely that any license would be granted. So the performance threshold set likely limits a lot of HPC AI or GPU or ASIC uh, accelerator chips. So companies involving, for example, the lack of uh, quantum computing or autonomous driving, essential essential, are quite likely to be affected as a result, especially if the threshold does not evolve over time. So this clouds the visibility for, or I should say more precisely, kept China's AI capability in the long run. And that's the risk that we need to monitor uh, going forward.
1: I mean, that's really interesting. So another example of how the regulation might become more impactful as as time goes on. Well, I think that's a, a good place to draw the podcast to a close. So with that, I'd really like to thank my guests, Pruksu and Carl. It's been great having you on today.
2: Great. Thanks, Nick.
0: Great to be here, Nick.
1: And thanks to everyone who took the time today to listen in. If you enjoyed today, then please download our other podcasts from our website or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Watch out for our next episode and tune in.
0: Thank you for listening to the Emerging Markets Equities Podcast brought to you by Aberdeen. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and for more great content, visit aberdeen.com.